So the main theme of episode four, which is called Cold War, is two factions attempting to siege the house that Anna and Rose are occupying. Naziri, which is the leader of his little ragtag bunch, they pursue entry into the home and they make, he rather, makes contact with Rose and gives out his verbal command of what they are going to do, how they are outnumbered, how they may as well throw the towel in because the game has already been lost. A second group led by a guy who I am going to introduce now who is by all accounts a character who is an important character to know. His name is Mance. Like Lance, but with an M. Mance heads a group that also pursues entry into this house. And it's another Wild West frozen shootout where plenty of casualties are had on both sides. So many that there aren't very many of them left. They do pursue and gain entry into the house, which was once a sprawling manor, but has been left in complete uninhabitable ruin by all of the gunfire and all of the attacks and all of the mayhem for them attempting to fight one another hard enough to get into this home. Good news, Sun is still with Nazari's group. It's difficult to understand Nazari's reason for enslaving Sun. So I am going to inject my own theory in here since the writers don't make it all together clear why he chooses to travel around the snowy tundra with sun in tow, handcuffed and tied by a rope. She, in my estimation, must be a sex slave, sex slave of some sort. And what is the sort? Sex is the sort. Okay, so she is a sex slave in my imagination because he may be sadistic enough to just want to have someone to pull around as chattel, but I don't see any real reason for him to use her as an anchor, as it were. She doesn't do anything but slow them down. So she's not even a fighter with the group. He literally pulls her around like a tugboat. She serves zero purpose. And therefore, the purpose must be because she is a sex slave. Episode 5 of Season 2 is a welcome one because it is following my favorite character on the show. And you guys know that it is Julius. But I'm going to call him Spears for the sake of the episode recap. Spears encounters a man named Braithwaite. 
B-R-A-I-T-H-W-A-I-T-E. He is a black man as well. And this guy, he meets out kind of on the road. Spears has been traversing through a forest. By all accounts, he is lost. It seems as though in some way, at some point along the way, he has lost his direction. So he's no longer on the snowy mountain. He is more in the valley because there isn't a lot of snow where he is. So he meets Braithwaite and immediately upon meeting Braithwaite, I do not trust Braithwaite. Braithwaite has a slick tongue. He is one of those guys where he can convince you to do things you do not want to do and the entire time you know why you don't trust him, but his tongue is so slick that the logic that he pursues you with is enough to keep you going on, but you do not view him out of anything but the side of your eye the entire time. Braithwaite is convinced. He claims that he recognizes recognizes Spears and Spears deflects every attempt that this guy gives to kind of prying into who he is as a person. So they join forces reluctantly, albeit from Spears' perspective, but they join forces. By this point, Spears is still heavily injured. His injury has not had an opportunity to heal. So the gunshot wound that he had, which seems to be something that he says went through, it went straight through him, but just because the bullet's no longer lodged in there doesn't mean that the damage that he inflicted, that it was inflicted on him doesn't still have some kind of relevance. So they're walking, they're walking, they're walking, they're joining forces. Uh, Braithwaite's talking a lot of smack not in an antagonistic way, but in the type of way, in the tone of someone who actually might know you, who is kind of teasing you a little bit about the fact that they know you and they know that you can't remember them. And they're kind of using that as a way to kind of poke at you. So they get to a point where they see a rabbit and they hunker down in order to kill this rabbit. Um, and they're unsuccessful because they're because Spears and Braithwaite are distracted by the fact that they see a person riding a pale horse or a white horse. And the rider, they were going to shoot the horse, but they decided not to because they didn't want to create an enemy by shooting and missing the rider. I am glad they did that. At this point, Spears did not have the gun in his hand because Lord knows he can't shoot. But Braithwaite didn't feel conf confident about being able to take the shot. They end up rolling up on a zombie that has been crushed by a large trunk of a tree or some kind of foliage has him caught up and he is not a factor as far as a fear factor any longer. So they bludgeon him with a large stone and discover that he has a bag with some minimal supplies. One thing they find is a fifth of some whiskey and they find a gun, a handgun, which Braithwaite gifts to Spears. Braithwaite already has a shotgun. So him giving the gun to Spears is a bit of an olive branch, as it were. Spears accepts the gun and they 
hunker down for the night. They find enough supplies in the bag to start a fire from scratch. He has a bit of one of those, I do not what, know what you call them, but I'm just going to call it a fire starter where you shimmy it between your hands and you have some, some brush and as long as you blow on it and you get the wind at the right vector, then now you have a fire and they are able to light that fire. And during their camp fight, camp fight, their campfire, Braithwaite decides that he is going to share a candy bar that he has been coveting the entire time. And he halves that candy bar and gives it to Spears. And Spears ironically laughs and says that, you know, as much as I am dying to have food right now, you would not believe that I have a fucking nut allergy and that payday you're eating, I can't eat it. So they giggle. And it is at this point where Braithwaite remembers exactly who Spears is. Up until this point, Braithwaite knew who Spears was by sight. He knew his face, but he didn't know his name. Now he does because Big James's little brother, which is who Spears is, he is the only one that he knew in the neighborhood that blew up literally because he had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich one day. So this is what triggers the recollection of his memory. From the scattered story that Braithwaite shared and the tidbits that Spears had to kind of acknowledge, it looks like James, Julius James, they called the brothers by their last name. Big James seemed to be the head thug in charge in their neighborhood. Little James seemed to be his little lieutenant. And basically that's it. Braithwaite factored into that whole equation because he ran jobs for Big James. And they began to reminisce and Braithwaite wants to know what the extent of Spears' injury is in Spears shows it to him and Braithwaite is saying that, okay, well, what we're going to do is just get you some, I'm going to make you some pine needle tea and then we're going to put some sap in it as an anesthetic and we're going to try to get that infection down because it is infected, but you know, if you've been going this long, then you're probably good. So a rainstorm ensues and they approach a cabin and they're actually chased inside of the cabin because obviously some zombies smell them out. When they go into the cabin, at first they're relieved that they're safe, but then they start to notice that there's this yellow tape that has been adorned all over the interior of this cabin and it has scriptures on it. And upon further smell detection, they realize that there was some level of cult that lived in this cabin and because cults thrive on end times that cult decided that they were not going to go out like punks they were going to make the decision to end things for themselves but the hook about the way that they ended was the leader of this cult the messiah of the cult he tasked himself with killing them because 
if you are familiar with a lot of religious thought, it is that it is a sin to take your own life. But taking someone else's life for them, you can repent of that and you can be forgiven. But if you take yourself out, that suicide is going to disqualify you from going on to glory. So Spears makes his way to the very top room, the very most central room where the bulk of the bodies are. There are stacks of bodies scattered around the cabin. He discovers this Messiah looking guy. He looks exactly like you think he's going to look long, white beard, long, scraggly, gray, white hair. This man is sitting in the middle of a graveyard of humans and his eyes are as big as coke bottles because I'm pretty sure the shock of sitting in the midst of all that death plus whatever the hell else is wrong with him psychologically has him in a bit of a daze which is exactly how Spears finds him and the man says something to the tune of I have been waiting for you. And he hands Spears the gun so that he can finally kill him. And the man thanks him before he blows his head off. So this episode is very Spears heavy. I mean, it focuses on Spears 100%. And like I said at the top of this review, it was a welcome episode with him along the way he and Braithwaite are constantly communicating with one another and Braithwaite begins to zero in on the history that these two had with each other and along the, the way of this conversation it's revealed very unclearly that there was beef between Big James, Little James, and Braithwaite to the degree that it turns out that Spears at some point had shot Braithwaite twice in the back. Well, he rolled up on him and did a sucker, sucker shot. Instead of a sucker punch, he gave him two sucker shots. And it appears that it was a result of something that Braithwaite had done. Braithwaite's theme has been bygones. He has been saying this ever since he discovered Braithwaite because nine times out of ten, he probably recalled what he actually did to get on the brother's bad side in the first place well before he revealed it. So he's trying to kind of groom Spears for the forgiveness that he ultimately wants because he has decided, Braithwaite it is, that because it's apocalypse and the zombies are after them and it has upended life that none of what happened before matters none of that matters none of that's important so bygones right so Braithwaite starts to pontificate about how when he sees a horse one time when he was close to death he saw a horse and he he had a dream one once and that dream disturbed him because he could not shake the feeling that the feeling of melancholy over the fact that he dreamed of a horse and he realized that he had never ridden a horse. He said that in his day-to-day -day life, he's never cared about riding a horse, but he just thinks they're so beautiful when they're run. 
and for one reason or another the overwhelming reality that he has never ridden a horse was something that made him feel like man this is a bucket list item that I didn't even know I had but the feeling won't leave me he and Spears walk on this pier that um, is outside of this cabin area and Braithwaite notices that this pale horse that had a rider on it no longer has that rider and he's doing his thing about the bygones at this point again because they're discussing how remember how you shot me twice and you rolled up on me from the back and shot me and Spears is acknowledging him in a quiet acknowledgement albeit because he is recollecting what happened as to why he felt the need to roll up on him. And now that I am podcasting, it's likely that this guy killed his brother. And I'm just going to make that pontification because Spears puts the gun up to his head. And Braithwaite is almost at his, he's at his personal execution and he knows it. He doesn't even have to turn around. He's got eyes in the back of his head. He knows that Spears is about to off him. But instead of killing him right then, Spears mercifully allows him to walk over to the white horse. And the scene ends there and the episode ends there. And I, I'm just going to go ahead and creatively fill the gap in that he allowed him to walk over to the horse and he allowed him maybe even to get up on the horse. But not very far after that, Spears killed him. Now, what must be a miracle is how Spears is shooting must have improved because I can't imagine that Spears would have been able to do the job well at all if he let that man get up on the horse all he had to do was get up on the horse and ride off unless the horse didn't exist and it is just a figment of his imagination and that pale horse is just symbolic of the fact that somebody was going to die that last part of that may not have been the white horse seemed like it was real but with this show anything is possible so a sur the surviving group of Z, I'm going to call them Z survivors at this point because personally, I don't care about any of them. I have no feelings toward them and their survival doesn't matter to me. And writers have got to understand that. So I'm going to continue. But episode six, six consists of Mance, very tall black guy. He heads a group with two women and a couple other guys and they discovered this crate that everybody was after in previous episodes this is what got mark killed this is what got freddie his brother and his mother killed this is what got Rhonda killed this is what got that wild west shootout in the snow this is what got everybody killed this big box crate full of supplies so Mance and his group discover it but they are rolled up on by a man named Sam and Sam is a, a person that I have seen associated with Nazari but he seems to be kind of going it solo and he promises the group that they can share it fair and square if they will allow him along with their muscle power as well to kind of get it over this ridge and get it to a safe place i don't know why they couldn't just divide the shit up right where they were and go and going about their business but they chose to partner up with this guy um he's holding them by gunpoint 
So that's kind of a, another reason why they agreed to do all this shit. But my thing is, you know, you just would have had to threaten me more or kill me because it didn't make sense. The the journey that they embark on this 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 crate they which you know he gives them the crowbar that successfully opens it up because prior to him coming they're attempting to try to open it up by their own vices with this you know these tree branches that are brittle and, and freezing and they break off and they're just not having a good go at it and he gets it open and they discover it's first aid and food you know MR, MREs and all that kind of stuff so they agree under duress albeit to kind of shuffle this damn thing over ridges and they're going and they're going and they're pulling and they're pulling and Sam is denigrating the women. Oh, you're useless. What the fuck are you doing? You guys are, I told you to pull. Move out of the way. And the guys, and they'll, you know, they'll pull it for so long and then they'll get snagged because is the ground level on a damn mountain? You know, so they have a problem getting it. The women's strength is gone. Like they don't have any strength. Thank you, writers. This is how women are. We will get tired faster than a guy. And even the guys, they were struggling so Mance gets to the point where they're they're on an incline and they're struggling I mean one of the women up top who are up top they're tasked with pulling while the men are at the bottom pushing um one of the women gives up she stops she's like I don't have any more gas in me I'm done and she lets go and the other woman who um looks at her like oh my god you better get back over here we're gonna die if they see that we're not even trying so, but she doesn't have anything left to give. Mance sees that his group is just kind of dying. They are dying the death of pulling and pushing. He decides that he has had enough of this shit. And he's got this guy exactly where he wants him. So, a visual. Are the two women at the top of this incline? Mance is in the middle. Because he's like literally the physically, he's physically the strongest out of the group. And then you've got his two compadres down there on either side. And then you've got the one guy, the the, the one who, who, who stuck him up in order to get this. He's in the perfect position for Mance to take his razor out of his pocket, cut the rope, and hopefully kill him. So he does this. And this crate releases and it splatters his other two buddies and it causes the Sam to get gravely injured. To the point where he has to crawl over to a rock and, you know, he's broken his, his damn shin bone so much. I'm sure that's not the shin bone, but he's going to be the shin bone right now. And he's basically on his way out to dying because he is completely incapacitated. And, you know, he's zombified and he's in the snow and his other friends have zombie. He's not a zombie yet, but his other friends have uh, zombified and they make a meal out of him. Mance scrambles up the mountain until, you know, those guys can eat their fill and then he can have access to these supplies. It's not altogether clear whether Mance actually can make anything of these supplies because they really don't show too much that happens after that. Just that Mance's scheme to actually get rid of Sam worked. The two women finally feeling like, damn, we're free, run off together. So the man that was hiding in the sprawling mansion the entire time is who bails Rose and Anna out of a sticky situation when they were seized by those two misfit groups. His name is Boone, B-O-O-N-E. And he is a Puerto Rican guy. And 
the best way I can describe him to give you a visual, if you remember the cartoon back in the day, it was a 90s cartoon. It was called Ren and Stimpy. And one of them is, I think, was it Stimpy? One of those two characters, those cartoon dogs, is a thin, very skinny dog. And his eyes are so off kilter that they're almost googly eyes. This is kind of the way this guy looks. His eyes are always on 10 is the best way I can describe it. You know how you look when you look at somebody and you're like, what? What you gonna do? That's how his eyes look at all times. Plus, they're bubbled eyes. Plus, he has this Puerto Rican accent that makes everything as mundane as it might be a party coming out of his mouth. So it's like, oh, I know where the airstrip is. I will take you guys to the airstrip because every season, every season, or let's say every few episodes has a destination. And for one reason or another, the hive mind group following mentality spills over into the apocalypse so at first everybody's trying to make it to the checkpoint now everybody needs to make it to the damn stadium now everybody wants to go to the mansion now everybody needs to get to the fucking cart the you know the um the 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 boxes of supplies the the crafts the crates now everybody needs to go to an airstrip so boone um is almost executed by Rose, because you know Rose. Rose doesn't have loyalty to anything other than her fiendish love for her child. And he convinces them that he knows where to go. So they lead, he leads them out of that house because it's uninhabitable. I mean, they might as well. It is so damaged. It is so, it's like a piece of Swiss cheese in the middle of the Arctic mountain okay they they can't stay there even if they wanted to it's equivalent to being outside anyway so they leave and he's taking them on what looks like a wild goose chase at first because they traipsing around this snowy ass mountain they're cold they're hungry they're desperate they're pissed and at at a certain point rose is like if you don't get us there by sundown i am going to kill you period i'm gonna blow your damn head off if you don't get us there because you're lying and I don't have time for lies. And he was like, I'm not lying. I know, I know, I know that I can get you guys to this airstrip. And before they get to this airstrip, they are trying to make it to this lodge because the airstrip is close to this lodge. And it's supposed to be this place that's got water, that's got heat, that's got food, that's got accommodation because it's a lodge. And Rose is like, okay, that sounds too good to be true. Honey, stay right here. Don't follow me because he has got us walking around here and no. And so he's like, wait, don't take me. No. And he's because she can't execute him right in front of our child. Somehow she still has some kind of connection to her humanity and she at least can't do it in front of her child. So she makes him go off onto the side of, you know, the mountain where the daughter can't see. And she makes him get down on his knees and face away from her. And the water, the daughter rolls up on her and is like, Mom, don't do it. He might know some more information. And Anna is able to get through to her mother and stop her from killing him. I will make a note here. Anna is becoming a scooch more likable simply because she is breaking out into her own personality. And I'm being exposed to it a little bit more 
So it's it's lending her a couple of likability points. I'll just say that. Is she likable yet? Not quite yet, but I'll just say that I liked the fact that she had a different course of thinking and she was able to interject it and she was able to save this guy from her mom's psychosis. Anna, her daughter, and Boone make it to the ski lodge. This place actually exists. I was doubting him not enough to kill him like Anna, but I definitely doubted his story after so much wandering around. They get there and it is everything that he says that it is. It is an oasis of sorts. It has propane tanks that heat the place. It has industrial, you know, sized uh, kitchen gadgets, ovens, uh, ranges, refrigeration, freezing, uh, bulk food. I mean, it is an oasis. It's heaven compared to the hell that they've been exposed to for the last half a year almost. So... Anna and Rose lock themselves into their rooms and Rose seems like she is ready to take a mental sigh because she tells Anna take a shower and Anna's like nah I'm good she sits on the couch and she's keeping watch on the door and Anna real uh, Rose realizing that trying to coax Anna off of her watch is not going to work so she takes a shower herself and again tries to get Anna to do the same thing and Anna's like no I'm good so Rose starts to reminisce on a life that no longer exists and Anna's like mom please stop stop telling me about how when I was young you used to force me to give you a bedtime story about you know all these random different things so rose she hunkers in and she drifts to sleep anna is nowhere near sleep she is not going to sleep instead she is going to allow any sound that that ski lodge makes to lure her out of the room and it does and she walks through this large lodge and eventually makes it to a door which is kind of slamming open and closed because of the heavy wind now how the hell it got open who knows but she continues on her little let's say her trek through the lodge and she rolls up on another door which is doing the exact same thing Anna is at a place in the lodge where there's large glass windows and she stands in the window and she looks at her reflection she points the gun to it and she screams a silent scream so she opens her mouth she doesn't make any sound but she's screaming and to me this is the best depiction of what Anna is on the inside which is a complete utter mess so there is a point within this whole shebang where Anna is 
calling her mother's name. And Rose has awakened by this point and she has taken to looking for Anna. But as soon as Anna calls her name, she's on it. And she does it to the point where she rolls up on Anna being confronted by none other than Spears. So, as you can imagine, there's plenty of tension between Spears and Rose. And they named this segment of episode seven, The Last Supper. They're sitting at this long banquet table. Both of those two are sitting at the heads of the table with Anna and the extremely animated Boone in the middle on the same side. And they're eating. They are eating a meal for kings. They have roasted some kind of poultry. They have all the sides, every fixing that you would have for a Thanksgiving meal. They have it there. And they're eating. And Rose and Spears are taking their eyes off of each other because of what Anna did in abandoning Spears. And Spears is talking in a lot of thick subliminal. It's like he's pontificating about how, you know, hard it is out there and how crazy it is out there and all these different things. And Boone, he is soaking it up. He's also soaking up a lot of alcohol. So he's getting drunk and, you know, he's animated. And every word that's coming out of Spears' mouth Boone is drinking it harder than he's drinking the wine. And Anna is side-eyeing the whole situation as well because she knows that her mom left that man. And Anna being the um, mercenary, not even a mercenary because she's doing it for free, but her being the soldier she is at this point, she can smell the tension in the air as much as her mom can. So... They're having their subliminal conversation where Spears is dropping a lot of, yeah, you left me out there to die, but look, I'm still alive, jargon. And Anna reads him. And she says something to the tone of, you're dying. You're dying. That's why you're here. And... The entire time that Spears is talking, his breath is very shallow. It's also very ragged. And he has a definite, you know, end of your damn life sound to the way he is breathing. And, and when Anna says you're dying, I said it out loud at the same time. Because I can do it like that, guys. Anyway. <laughs> so... Rose excuses herself from the table because she has made dessert. And she goes and she checks on that dessert. And I guess it's not done because she comes back. But while she's gone, um, Boone has not left. The, I think Boone, at some point, Boone passes out because he's drunk. And I can't remember where Anna goes. But she disappears for a while and it's not like ooh, you disappeared it's like anna can go off on her own and she is perfectly fine because she is going to kill it it doesn't matter what it is and she and boone have she and spears have a ch chance to have the that elephant that's sitting in the middle of the damn table they can talk about that elephant now 
And Rose goes into this dirge about how she is sorry that she cannot care about anybody else. She can only love and protect, not love, but she can only stand to have to fend for her child. And that she's not sorry. Now, she did say sorry, y'all. Now, it's not me saying sorry. But she did, after all that, say, I'm not sorry for the decisions that I've made. I do not have to understand the type of person that I am right now. I don't even have to like the type of person that I am right now. But this is who I am. And this is what I am going to do. And I can't do anything other than this. My life is her. My sole focus in everything that I do is her. And she concludes her little speech, goes back to the kitchen to check on this. It looks like she's making some chocolate cakes, guys. And um, she goes into the kitchen and Anna comes back in. And while she's in the kitchen staring as in a daze at the oven, she realizes she she doesn't realize she hears a gunshot go off and when she comes back in Anna has killed Spears now the rest of the episode is dedicated to what happens when and when Rose goes into the kitchen because Anna does not just kill Spears all willy-nilly even though he's dying and he goes into his own little soliloquy where he tells her in his, I am about to die. I am rasping and barely able to breathe way, but I'm trying to hold it together and be that dude still, even in death. This is his tone. And he's like, my mom always told me, you know, that I want to make sure that I, you know, kind of cover my bases just in case you know just in case there is something after this that it's a good idea to you know bygones you know forgiveness and he didn't want to go out like everybody else did something in him did not want to just have death happen to him he wanted to go out like he wanted to go out. And he says, I have decided that I'm at rest. This is where I want to rest. This is where I want it to happen. He's sitting at the head of the table. The chair is high-backed. He's got a full stomach, but he's dying nonetheless. And he is has decided that this is where his end will meet. So he takes the gun that he's had since Braithwaite out and he places on the table closest to, you know, the edge of the table where Anna is standing with her rifle already to his head because he looks as bad as he sounds like he looks and he is nearing his end and he's like, I want you to do it. And she turns, she kind of flinches at him and he's like, yeah, that's why I fucks with you because you don't miss anything you are sharp as a tack and he says I don't want you to ever leave your mother don't ever leave her and he says but 
I want you to do this for me. And you can see the conflict on her face where she's not happy about having to do this because for the first time I am seeing Anna, Anna, I'm not seeing Anna, Rose's daughter that she protects against every, you know, thing. I'm seeing Anna, the person, and Anna, the person is bothered not only by this, but by the whole fucking thing. And she doesn't like the prospect of what she knows she's going to do. So she kind of lowers her gun. And he's like, yeah, very good. Go ahead. Yep, come on. And he's just like coaching her. And he's just like guiding her to making this decision. But not only making this decision because she's going to kill him. But to releasing herself from the guilt she must feel from both walking away and from being the one who ultimately kills him in this moment. And so she takes his gun and, you know, he has his eyes closed. He's ready. He has made peace with it all. He's made peace with it all. And he came back and walked all the way up to them and sat in their presence and without saying it outright told them that it's all bygones for me I forgive you and don't ever leave your mom and I thought that was beautiful and I thought it was a beautiful end and a much deserved conclusion to his story so the final episode in season two is eight and it is titled The Plane because everybody is, everybody who is left, Mance and his group, Rose and Anna, and then Naziri and his little jigsaw puzzle of a group, they all converge on this airfield and there are little storage units and there are hangars and all that and it's a bit of a maze the way that they have to kind of protect themselves against um, the zombies that are out there. Boone at some point dies and becomes a zombie because he is um, along the way. He ends up running into a group that's a little bit, it's like a small unit of people who are kind of enemies to the Nazari group because Nazari back in episode six or seven, not seven, maybe six or five, the same episode where Mance and the group were moving that crate of supplies, well, in that episode, Nazari's group with Sun, they found a crate, but it was full of ammo. And then there was like a ragtag three, three men group that tried to at least get equal rations of that ammo. And Nazari didn't want to give that to them, but Sun intervened and kind of gave them a stash and sent them on their way. Nazari allowed it. And because they were able to have 90% of everything that was there without any gun fire, he let Sun go. He, he took her chains as it were off. But because of circumstance, she didn't leave, but she no longer had to hobble around after him like a caboose she was able to walk around with the full usage of her arms and and make her body move on its own 
So this is what's going on now. Boone has found himself in that little tiny unit of Missouri opposition. And he has promised them that he can get them to the airstrip. And he does get them there. But when he gets them there, they've decided that his usefulness has ended. Because you know only so a certain amount of people can get on this plane. And they have decided that he is useless weight. So they kill him and he becomes a zombie. They could have given him a headshot, but they choose to zombify him anyway. They chose to zombify him instead because he would have been a good weapon, as they called it, for the other people that were out there as if he wasn't going to attack them too. I don't know why they thought that. but So Anna and Rose, they end up being confronted by Nazari, who takes them in as some hostages because Anna and Rose, they play the whole, I need some help please help me game and they take them in but not as a help but as hostages and what when he takes them into one of these container units or this this hangar he has rose go and look for some kind of first aid because what happens is that little ragtag bunch the little three-man unit that killed boone who is nazari's enemy they get some revenge and they end up ambushing Nazari. And they end up getting the upper hand on Nazari. And when they do that, they beat his ass. And I mean, they beat him to a bloody pulp. He's still alive, but they are beating him down. And during the process, one of the men kind of jams a finger or dislocates it. And they task Rose with looking in the first aid kit in the hangar and giving them that first aid kit. And she does, and while she's in there, she also finds a flare that she keeps as a weapon. So they all go outside, and it's nearing time for this plane to come because they can all hear it. And the plane is, is escalating down and descending, I guess you can say. And it's getting thick because you know it's, it's Nazari, bloody pup and all, he's still alive. And it's the guy and his couple of guys, and then it's Mance. Mance got some people that want to get on too, you know. So they they have quite the let's say passenger list. And Rose decides that while everybody is concentrated on who to heal so that they can't get on the plane, she shoots this flare and it does a good job of kind of blowing the area apart and blowing them all apart as well. So everybody that's kind of standing there waiting for this plane to finally land they they're kind of blown away because of this flare that she shoots and she is blown until the point where she when she makes contact with the ground she's made some kind of a grave injury to her leg and is she's so injured that she tells her daughters to leave leave with son because those are the only two really kind of able-bodied people after the whole flare incident and she's clutching her leg. She finds a gun. She puts it to her head. She says, leave. Just leave. Leave me. Get to safety. They run, run, run. They get to the runway. And son is on the damn steps. And Anna realizes that I'm not to leave my mom. So she goes back. And son is like, damn, there's only so much I can do. And only thinks of it for half a second. And pulls that damn door up. And off they go. Anna comes back and she is there with her mom and you can tell her mom is glad to see her and Nazari is not dead. 
he is laying on the ground meters away opposite of rose but he's not dead he has got a gun in his hand and rose is able to um you know position herself so that she can point her handgun at him anna in a move that i don't understand goes and gets a car and drives it around she doesn't she drives it first of all i didn't know anna could drive Anna looks like she's about 14 or 15, but she does not look driving age. So I think that's interesting. And if you ever watched this show, go back to season one. Tell me if that girl looks like she is 15. She looks like she's about 11. Anyway, I'm going to stay on that, guys, because that's bothering me. Nevertheless, she, she, their scene ends with a shot of her sitting in a car with one hand on the wheel just looking forward. Please do not. I don't know what they're going to do with that. I don't know if she's going to roll over him. I don't know what's going to happen because he has a gun. Rose has a gun. So I don't know how you're going to beat the bullet. But I have no idea what they want to do with that. And I'm sure they want to leave us pretty fucking confused about it all. Mance. Mance is a very tall, strong guy. He is probably about 6'4 or better. And he, the, the hangar and the storage units are all set up to be more of like a maze you run down one way it's a dead end you run down the other way it's some zombies you run to the north there's some zombies so now you got to go back and run south so he he has a several minute long segment where he's just evading evading running running going inside running across the roof smashing heads tripping falling they catch him you know just one of those bite your nail moments while you're only getting out by an eyelash type of thing so by the end of that, I suppose that the message they want to see it is that he's a survivor and that we can expect to see him in the next season or he lived or what have you. And that's fine. Um, the first thing that came to my mind when I saw Mance was, well, was, wow, is this supposed to be my Spears replacement? Because I feel like, you know, sometimes the creators feel like they have a slot to fill. So let's fill this slot. And... Is Mance a strong character? Yes, honestly, he is. Is he somebody you want fighting with him? I, with you, I guess. Um, I don't really know Mance at all. I've had a lot of screen time with him, but I have no idea who he is. And even if he had a pretend persona, I have no idea who that is. They proffered him as an opposition group. They They proffered him as one of those survivors that had a little less um, honor than other survivors and I just didn't ever take to him because I always felt like at some point he's going to cross one of my folks and you can get it if you if you are against my group you can get it all day long that's why Rose I get it but baby I do not get it mm -mm. so um son gets on the plane and it leaves and now, there's no way they hurt me because season two is season two. But I think I'm pretty good at the whole what I need to see in season two thing because Rose, excuse me, son finally got somebody who she can communicate with. The pilot knows, as he says, a little Korean, but that boy is speaking in whole paragraphs. That ain't a little Korean, baby. You speak Korean. That ain't a little Korean. But he himself must be, if I had to take a guess, he must be Chinese and possibly even Japanese, but he is not Korean. Um, because, while, you know, if he is a Western Korean, as in he grew up in the United States and just didn't know Korean, okay, but he is, um, 
of the age that he would not have been someone who was so westernized that he couldn't speak his mother tongue. He's of the age where he would have children that are Korean that couldn't speak Korean. So my assumption is that he is either Chinese, which he looks more Chinese than Japanese to me. And they're conversing and she is over the moon. She's had this necklace that's got some that's got a picture of her mother in it and in various spots throughout season one and season two, you see her grasp this necklace for strength, for, you know, prayers and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, he asked her something to the tune of, are you glad that you can finally communicate with somebody? And she was like, yes, this is all I've been dreaming about, being able to be understood and for somebody just to understand what I am saying. And she asked him, where are they going? And he says, far, we're going far away. And he says, um, she asked him, you know, what's going to happen to those people down there and all that kind of stuff. And he's like, you know, we're in the clouds. And at this point, you just kind of have to let that lay where it is. And, you know, she looks down and you can tell that a scroll of everything that she's been through and people that she still cares about are still down there. And um, I can tell that that breaks her heart a bit, but... There's a little bit of hope in Sun's eye as they continue to, you know, ascend in the sky toward, you know, the horizon of whatever it it is that is next. Um, I um, what do I need to see out of season three? I really haven't thought about that until this moment right now. I don't know if there's anything necessarily that I need to see. Um, this show did an effective job of killing my desire to ship anybody. In this show, um, I really overshot that with Sears and Rose. It didn't. I, um, If there was some kind of love there, you know, and I read about it, and you know, like, people give those behind the scene takes and the director's cut and all that kind of shit if i see something like that and they say oh yeah they really did have feelings for each other you know maybe that'll make me happy or what have you but how could it i mean the way everything happened with him but um i don't know if i really need to see anything specific out of season three and i say that because a spears is my favorite character and it was hard to see him leave. I'm going to be hunted about that. It was hard to see Sears go. With Sears leaving um, beyond the ship thing, guys, uh, he was a very likable character. And all of that essence or whatever you want to call it, he left, he took that with him. He really did. And there really isn't any other character that has the gravity of of likability that he has um son is my favorite female character um i really want to see son win i want to see son maybe find her mother um i want to see son turn into not rose's ass i want her to turn into that strong character who can protect herself and maybe even someone else but i cannot see her turn into a robot like rose did rose does not have a heart anymore i mean when you watch this show if you watch this show even if you don't like watch it like i did just go and look at episode one okay and come back to the podcast and tell me if that rose identifies with anything you're hearing me say about rose now 
I mean, at the end of the day, psychotic break or none, you should have your personality kind of scamper out there and show itself every once in a while. I do know that brain chemistry can change if you have a severe brain injury, but that girl didn't get hit on the head nowhere. She is the same, you know what I mean? So I don't know why Rose doesn't have a heart anymore. She doesn't have a heart anymore. And I'm going to be frank with you. I almost think that the only thing that's going to save Rose is her losing her daughter, as bad as that sounds. Because you can't just live for one person, honestly. Actually, the only one person you can live for is yourself. Because you're going to live with yourself, you're going to die with yourself. But Anna is going to find herself in situations that are in opposition to what Rose wants and how is Rose going to handle that when you have hung your life on the rung of Anna? I don't know how that's going to work. And then when Anna dies, what, Rose? Do you die or are you going to stop? And the answer to that is you can't. And if you do, then you need to euthanize both of you guys right now. Because what you're doing right now, just you cannot sustain that. You can't because this child here has her own thoughts. There was one scene in episode eight where, uh, you know, Rose, Anna is doubting her mother when it comes to the, the validity of this plane actually existing. And she's like, you know, I don't want to sit around here and rot like dad did. And Rose is like, you better watch your mouth. And Anna's like, why don't you come and make me? And they get pursued by zombies after that. But even before that, Rose got chin checked. Do you hear me? Anna did not play that shit. And she was like, bitch, make me watch my mouth. Let, let me see you try that one. So I'm feeling like these two, you know, the very hand that you're feeding is going to turn around and bite it, Rose. And then what? Then what? Because my opinion, even though you can't resurrect Spears... My opinion is that they could have taken him with them and he could have gotten better. Period. Because his injury was not fatal. It was just that his injury was untended to for so damn long. If you get a cut and that cut gets infected, the cut didn't kill you. The infection killed you. Which is something that could have completely been helped. So... What do I need to see? Um, I Like I said, I don't think I need to see anything. I'm going to maybe look out for the friction between Anna and Rose, maybe. Um, and, you know, that's that. I want Son to win. Mance, again, I know you guys gave us an audition tape of his strength in episode eight with that obstacle course that he ran around the maze. But I didn't care about a second of it. The only reason it was titillating was because it was just a titillating issue. I mean, he's running and he's getting away by the skin of his teeth. And it, you know, looks like he's going to get scratched or bitten or, you know, something. And it's like, okay. But anybody could have been doing that. And it would have been the same reaction. It would have just been like, ooh, that's too bad. Come on, get away. But just on the strength of getting away. Not because it's Mance. So, I mean, if you guys are going to expand Mance's story, maybe... But I think at this point, after two seasons, um, the reality is, is that there are people that I just don't care about. 
and it's not about my opinion obviously but yes it the hell is when i'm watching it and using my time to watch it and i just don't care about mance um and it's unfortunate because he's a he's a strong character he's somebody that will win i don't know if i want him to win because like i said i don't care um i would like to see lance reappear as a zombie but will they you know luke's story was kind of up in the air so they may visit that but who knows because we're edging up on you know them having to create a season three and i don't know if it's going to make sense for them to continue to shoot what's quote unquote in the united states which was the location of this or if it's going to be you know rose not rose but sun wherever she is he said far away does far away mean the east coast of the united states the west coast of the united states you know all the way up north canada what does it mean you know asia i hope they don't do asia because it's like wow son you're in trouble if you go to asia because you're a defector and you don't want you know no you can't go back there um so i i do look forward to whatever geograph geographical geographical differences maybe on the horizon if they choose to go to a different country but with you know shooting be being dodgy as it is with these production companies nowadays i don't see them going out too far outside of where they already have been shooting and just calling it something else so who knows with that um other than that nobody else from our group lived long enough for me to care about what's going on season three and I suppose that's maybe a good thing because I'm really not attached to anybody. Rose ruined it. Anna, she is, in an she is in opposition to her mother. So that lends me a little bit of interest there. But season three will almost, for me, be like watching season one all over again. Because my slate is cleared. I have a stake in nobody but Sun. But by the time Sun comes back, she's going to be encompassed by different people. And even Sun the warm and fuzzies i feel for sun i'm sure it can dissipate quickly because i'm gonna have to get used to her with another group but the reality is i'm used to sun being different from the sun i knew in the first episodes because sun has been had been taken to another group anyway and i had to kind of watch her interact with them but those people had characters who were getting a lot more shine than her so you know sun who knows if she will be able to have the shine that, you know, she, in my opinion, has earned. But, you know, regardless of it, is Black Summer worth the investment? It is. Um, I hope that in season three, you guys will be able to find likable, attractive people. That is always my prerequisite. Are you likable? Are you attractive? Do you have that it factor? Um, please don't stop searching until you find them and it doesn't have to be a lot of people just a couple of it factors slap them in there and let's see how we go with that and i guess with that that will conclude the review of season two of black summer i hope you have enjoyed the review uh it was a very interesting watch i hate to see spears go but this is a new beginning for black summer as far as i am concerned and all i hope is that this beginning has something that i can connect to and that will keep me in it for the long haul until then i will talk to you on the next episode